Welcome to the Collective Resistance Podcast. This is your hosts, Leo and Fabiola. We're going to be discussing why we find ourselves resisting the narratives of the common collective, as well as why the common collective resists new information. This is Leo, and Fabi's to my right. How are you doing this week, Fabi? Hey, doing the best I can this week. It's been a little rough. <laughs> Why? How come? I mean, we're still in paradise, but I've been wanting to see my friends, my family, but they don't really want to see me. <laughs> what, what do you mean? Whatever do you mean? <laughs> this is the first time I'm hearing about this. Um, so people are scared of seeing each other these days and there's so many rules and different regulations, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. I've just been to a friend's baby shower or, uh, it's not called a baby shower now. It's called a gender reveal party. Gender reveal. Don't talk about that in California. Yes. And for one of my good friends, and I try to invite my other friend that I miss her terribly, and she just didn't want to go. She was scared, and she just wanted to stay home. So I was a, a bit bomb. I mean, I understand people get to make their own choices, right? Certainly. And I honor that. But she didn't come, and I told her, okay, so just call me. <laughs> You're ready to see me. I have a feeling she's not going to call me. <laughs> well, and, and, and it's interesting, just the lack of wanting to uh, talk about it. Yes. So she's a biologist, this friend. And I, you know, wanted to hear her opinion on this whole thing. She definitely has a degree and works in the field. And I got nothing back. <laughs> and, and I get some of the same stuff. Now, I mean... People know my MO, so I tend to still get them to uh, banter back and forth a little bit. But um, I know what you're talking about. I, it, it's weird. People are just like, well, this is, this is just where I'm at. I don't want to talk about it. And uh, I know yes. that was kind of a focus of where we wanted to go with the episode tonight. How, how would you describe what we wanted to try to relay? Um, well, one of the things I wanted to talk about, and I don't know if we even get there, but... I wanted to discuss why maybe sickness is the solution and not the problem. Ooh, yes. you're getting a little edgy there now. <laughs> <Yes>. Okay. <laughs> yes. what, what are you talking about? Are you, are you challenging a paradigm? Oh, my gosh. Aren't we challenging a paradigm? I don't know how this, all this information comes this way. I don't know how the architecture of the AI or the universe works but there's just so much information coming at us and it just keeps tying back to all this this history we've we've had with our journey and with i remember way back when when we just started this journey right i attended my first conference because i believed in my heart it was possible to recover our our child and in one of the sessions, this doctor was explaining homeostasis of oh, the and, body. And, and make sure that you know from autism. Yes, yeah. from autism, yes. 
And he was talking about disease and we get sick so we don't die. And he even mentioned cancer. You got that tumor. It was your body's way to protect you so you didn't die. So be grateful. Thank your body. And I believe the same is true with any other illness. I have upper respiratory problems all the time. Usually comes from stress and a bad diet. <laughs> I got here in Brazil and I'm trying to eat all my childhood favorite treats. And my body's like, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go there, girl. <laughs> Don't go there, girl. So I had to learn how to listen to my body. And after that conference, one of the first doctors that we started seeing, Dr. Alyssa, amazing chiropractor in Overland Park, Kansas, she mentioned viruses, bacteria are the body's natural detoxifiers. And to me, it made so much sense because we have all this insult all the time of toxins, as we talk about in other episodes, coming in in the water, pollution in the air, chemicals we use at our house. Now when we go to the store here, everybody wants to spray us with stuff, right? Yeah, here, let me put some chemicals on you before you come yes. in Yes. You know, bad diet, different food here. I just learned that all the flour in Brazil is enriched with folic acid. By law. <laughs> By law. And we know our genetic profile, we have trouble converting folic acids to folate. So to us, that's a little bit of a poison. I just found that out. I've been eating folic acid for two weeks now. <laughs> So, you know, the body needs to find a way to get the stuff out. And that's when the homeostasis uh, plays a, comes in the, in the game. Okay, what is my body going to do, my immune system going to do to help me flush all that stuff out, right? So maybe sickness is one way because when you're sick, you're coughing, you're sneezing, you have a little bit of diarrhea, you have... Some people vomit, and it's this. Oh, there's mucus. So this is the way of the body to flush things out. You lose weight, and we know that our fat cells hold toxins to protect our bodies when our immune system may not be working optimally because, again, the microbiome we've been talking about is out of balance. Then our immune system say, okay, I'm suppressed. I'm a little beat down. I'm not going to do anything. The body finds other ways to isolate those toxins. And one of these ways is actually cancer. Uh, scientists have and researchers have looked at tumors and they're just full of toxins. So body's way to isolate that. And then microorganisms, maybe the microbiome, when it's a little stronger, can metabolize that. Or you may have to go to the doctor to get it removed and treated. You know, but it's interesting, at least what comes to mind as I try to listen uh, to that as somebody who may have not heard that angle before <laughs> is, uh, well, okay, well, I mean, some people are dying from the output or the, the, the flushing out of these toxins. And, you know, at least from what I've learned, I mean, we're not saying that someone couldn't have been um, grossly filled with way more toxins than their body was 
able right. to deal with. And, mm-hmm. and if that's the case, then those toxins, once the body starts to release them, it can be overwhelming. Yes, it can be overwhelming. And then again, when our microbiome is, doesn't have the diversity, um, we can have problems. And we know now that we are all walking around carrying 10% of the microbiome we used to have way back when. Um, so, and I wanted to talk about epidemiology too when it comes to that, right? Because we don't know a ton about the microbiome. We're just learning now. And nobody's really talking about the toxic load in the environment like we've been talking also about in, in our previous episodes. But, you know, our body needs to handle that somehow. And I... When we just look at epidemiology and when we just believe germ theory. Sorry, we are right next to the boardwalk on the beach and uh, (laughs) there were some teenagers riding their bikes by. Yes. So when we're just looking at epidemiology and assuming germ theory, we're we're taking out of the equation so much. And the environment being like the biggest thing. I mean, you have the environment, you have... Our emotions, the stress, everything we've been talking about that we're not really collectively talking about it. Well, and we're going to play later. I think if we have time, we're going to play that clip from Zach Bush. And, uh, you know, he talks about, which this is something I really didn't think about, but uh, you'll hear it in the clip. But just to kind of preview it, you know, he talks about like flu season last year, you know, we had a fairly light flu season. It was only in the, I think the low to mid 30,000s of total deaths in uh, the uh, uh, United States, where just the year before we had like almost 70,000 deaths from the flu. And so he said, well, you know, what you have happened there is that we had a, a a lower number of people that passed away and those people who are at high risk, those older people had an additional year of toxic buildup where maybe they didn't get sick. They didn't push out those toxins. And now they're getting introduced to something in the environment that is now uh, kind of green lighting that push out of those toxins. And that since the levels are higher, that response is going to be a little bit more overwhelming. And some of them might not be able to mount that defense or survive that flush out of those toxins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're not flushing now this year, next year, you'll be twice as bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was an interesting what a downer. <laughs> I thought that was a really interesting way to, to, to see that. And uh, so now as I'm kind of taking in new information about statistics, you know, as far as what we saw in overall sickness and and death, if we see those lulls, do we see those subsequent years being much higher? And it seems like that does kind of prove out, uh, at least uh, anecdotally. Yes, I wish that the toxic load would really be looked as a puzzle. Oh, I agree. I I agree completely. A puzzle piece in this whole puzzle <laughs> well and and uh the the toxic load you know like we, we talked about that i think in the second episode around cases but um you know so much pollution in the air from factories cars the you, you have really have no awareness 
to the amount of chemicals that are off-gassing in mm-hmm. your homes and your cars. I remember I was, uh, I can't remember if we saw, a, if it was a documentary we, or we read an article and it was talking about the chemicals used in, in uh, automotive parts in, in the insides of cars and like benzene, which is one of the most cancerous causing chemicals is in a lot of dashboards. I think it's starting to be phased out and they're using a little bit more biodegradable materials, but you know, for decades they were using these benzene related plastics and materials. And what would happen is, is that, you know, the heat in the summer would bake those things and then it would off gas. And you know, when you would get into a hot car, I mean, it was almost ridiculous. You could almost smell the chemicals Mm -hmm. and you didn't really think anything of it. You're just like, oh, this is just an oven here. I need to air it out. But really, you're inhaling toxic gases there until you can get that air circulating. And that is one of those areas that is creating buildup for you and your family members. And then you go into your house and you're in an enclosed environment yes. where the air conditioner is just recycling air and your, your uh, uh, carpet or laminate floors or your mattress or mattress yeah i mean <laughs> your curtains your clothes your your uh, uh fabric softeners your fabric, yes. you know you're, you're just getting your an laundry onslaught. detergent yeah it's an onslaught of chemicals and so it really makes me think of uh, uh i come back to vaccines and i say you know when they do the uh, the safety testing you know they're they're most vaccines uh they are not doing a, a saline placebo. And so the control group is still getting all of those preservatives and adjuvants and everything mm-hmm. in um, uh, uh, other uh, vaccines that they're giving for that control group. They're not using a saline inert solution. And so we're, we haven't really seen the safety profile. Of what if we were to pull out aluminum? Would we see less uh, injury yes. or less adverse events. And so same thing with your home, you know, your, your kids may, or you may be presenting specific symptoms and you're just scratching your head. I don't understand why this is happening. Well, I mean, did you know that there are, you know, 172 chemicals that are off gassing in your home and, <laughs> and you might have uh, a intolerance to one or a combination of those. And if or you could, they're not supposed to be in your body, your genetic profile can push that out. Or maybe your toxic load is too, too big and your body just can't get it out. Well, and wouldn't that be interesting if we were able to kind of look at where you see hot spots, what you see for what's happening in those environments, right? Are they yeah. near production facilities for factories? Mm-hmm. Are, are, are specific materials more common in mm-hmm. housing? Uh, wh- whatever it is, the, those factors are playing a role and those uh, toxic materials are finding their way into people's bodies. And then when you have an event, or I should say a, a catalyst, if you will, that might be uh, alerting your immune system to push out toxins. Again, if you have this load of stuff, you can be a, a healthy person from a weight perspective, somebody who exercises, but you can still be uh, constantly taking in these chemicals and these toxic substances that then get stored in your muscles and fat. Yeah. And then when your body goes to push them out, you're, you're going to have a, a, a reaction. And for some people, that may be overwhelming. Yeah. You get sick. So getting sick might be the solution. <laughs> uh, one other thing I wanted to mention that was just apropos because I was talking with a friend of mine around fever. 
and we talk about the stories around uh, how we're brought to look at things. And I think one of the biggest things that, that we learned and, and you taught me because you learned was that, you know, the fever is the body's way to. Uh, yeah, it's a natural response f- from the immune system, you know, to flush things out or kill off um, microorganisms that maybe are out of balance and shouldn't be there. I even remember one of um, the meditation gurus, Eckhart Tolle, speaking about the earth and global warming and saying, you know, what if global warming is nature's way or earth's way to get rid of the pathogens, meaning us, <laughs> you know, from destroying it. <laughs> right. It's true. It's possible. But, right. Um, so that happens in our bodies, too. But, but, I mean, what are we brought up learning about fevers? As I mean, soon as you have a fever, give the Tylenol medication because yeah. your child could have convulsions and but, but really, all kinds of horrible things could happen. But really, it's, it's kind of marketed on just seeing your child in that discomfort you know you want to you want to get them out of it and so you give them that to lower the fever so that they can get better rest but in reality and and i think we've actually proven this out with a lot of the the friends that we have you know we hear them talking about uh uh some of their kids who have you know fevers and stuff that just last for you know days and days and days and it's because they're not letting the fever run its course they are mm-hmm. intervening with that medication and so we we certainly our kids certainly will get fevers from time to time but yes. it seems like it's a one night thing in most mm-hmm. cases maybe two uh and not super bad fevers so so anyway i just thought that was an interesting um correlation you know how we're marketed to think something about fevers and how you should look at them and treat them the same thing around just germs and or or sickness in general is that sickness is bad when in reality you're making yourself stronger because you're pushing out those things that may be harming it yes thank your body you know for what it's doing I think my body, if I get sick and it's uncomfortable, and usually what I get is a cough, kind of bronchitis, um, sickness that I get often, and it's in stress-induced, as I said, when I have a lot of stressful situations at work or in life in general, or if I'm actually eating a pretty poor diet and not taking my vitamins or not taking care of myself, basically, my body will tell me, hey you got to take care of yourself. So here, you're going to lay in bed for a whole weekend. <laughs> Which, you know, it, for a mother of three, it's not bad. As long as I'm there, right? Yes, but I want to go back and I don't know if you want to play that clip of Zach real quick. Yeah, we could do that. And, uh, and then he, we can talk about epidemiology. Yeah, that clip is, uh, it's got a little length to it, but I think you find it interesting. It's It, it correlates with last week's episode too and really he's doing an interview with uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. and he is uh, being asked well what do you think COVID is and uh, Robert kind of starts out uh, with this similar conversation we're having right now let's go ahead and play that you gotta love Apple here it's gotta it, it caches everything Okay, having a tech. We're almost out of time, Zach. I want to talk to you about um, about COVID 
And um, what you are, I, you know, you're saying, I get your point, and that the that viruses are our friend. Um, and so what do you, I mean, this thing is so baffling, isn't it? Because it really doesn't, it, it, it doesn't behave like any virus that we've ever seen. It, um, you know, Larry Polevsky uh, said to me recently, he said, every other virus that we've seen, it causes you to expel things. It causes you to expel snot and cough and to, and to, you know, um, expel uh, uh, liquid from tears from your eyes and to break out in rashes. And this thing doesn't have any of that. And so, and it, you know, there's so much speculation about what's causing it, whether it's a virus, what it, clearly it's real and it's happening and something is killing all these people. Um, but what is your, you know, what is your diagnosis and what is your prescription? Beautiful. So there are, certainly is coronaviruses. They've been around for, you know, documented some 750 years in the human biology. So we've had them around for centuries. Uh, coronaviruses uh, mutate all the time, just like all the viruses are, are mutate, mutating at rapid rates whenever biology decides that there needs to be an adaptation event. So if a, a pig or a bacteria in the middle of China under the stress of massive antibiotic pressure from the agricultural system that's so toxic, and then it, it's trying to find a loophole or an escape mechanism to get out of the, the extinction level pressure that that bacteria or that pig is under, it's, get, it's got the ability to take in viral information reconfigure re it or misspell it and put it back out in the environment. So biology is constantly churning out adaptation versions of viruses. And the, the more pressure we put on biology, the more stress we put biology under, the faster it makes viral uh, components, uh, viral variants. And so the diagnosis that we have in the past year is, first of all, we were waiting for this to happen. There was going to be a big event in 2019-2020 flu season, and it could have been any virus. We, we chose to highlight coronavirus, but I'm convinced that, you know, it was many viruses that, that caused this far beyond coronavirus. Why? Because in 2018-19 flu season, we had the lowest mortality, especially in elderly, that we had seen from flu in over seven years. And so we had pent-up demand at the mortality level of the high likelihood that the next year coming around, we had a, a population that had aged an extra another year, another accumulation of chronic disease and age, and now they're gonna be exposed to the next viral season. So we were gonna see a relatively high mortality no matter what, because of that, that simple reality that we had less death the year before. And so that was the setup for what we would end up calling a pandemic. We have pandemics all the time. We've had 12,800 documented viral respiratory pandemics since 1976 when we added glyphosate there. That is a huge acceleration event since the previous 25 years before that. So we have pandemics on a, on a weekly basis of viruses that we can track around the globe that are traveling with new variants that cause common cold or respiratory flus or pneumonia or whatnot. And so we have all these viruses there. So we were set up for a bad 2019-2020 respiratory season. We then chose to peg it on a single virus, but that virus is only present in the bloodstream. And CDC has put this out, WHO, they all say that the virus is only present in the bloodstream at any measurable level for three to five days. And it usually peaks around your first day of symptoms, meaning that within a day and a half or two after your symptoms come on, there's no more virus detectable in your bloodstream. And of course, the mortality that comes downstream is weeks later. And so to say that we're dying of any virus is very inaccurate at the science level. What we're dying from is a cascade of immune events that happen on the tail end of exposure to 
a new viral variant that's not in a healthy relationship to our innate immune system, which has been damaged by all of our chemical environment. And now we're generating an inflammatory adaptive immune system response when we should have just been in simple balance with the innate immune system. The innate immune system never makes an antibody. It doesn't need one. It's not killing anything. It simply edits the genomic information flowing into our cells. It also blocks that, that genetic information from ever entering our cells. And so it's not until we lose the innate immune system that the adaptive immune system even becomes a significant discussion point. But it, it never is responsible for clearing the virus. And so it, it, when you describe the snot and the usual ex, expelling symptoms that, that are coming from a common cold, for example, that's not the virus causing that. That's your immune system building a cleanup result. And your mucus is actually a bunch of dead cells that are just being expelled from the body and cleaned up. It turns out, though, that this virus doesn't cause widespread damage within the respiratory tree. It actually causes most of its, its change in physiology in the red blood cell. And by changing the shape of the red blood cell, we, we get this you know, toxicity of hypoxia. And so people are dying from hypoxic injury in the last you know, 18 months. We've chosen to call it COVID-19, which is the syndrome, not the virus. The virus is SARS-CoV-2. So SARS-CoV-2 is present for three to five days, gone by way of the innate immune system, by the way, it takes weeks later before any antibody will develop, meaning that the antibody had nothing to do with clearance of the virus. It's very important for anybody who's asking themselves, should I take a vaccine or not? The vaccine can only make an antibody response. It does nothing to help your innate immune system actually stay in balance with viruses. And so when you ask yourself, should I take a vaccine? You aren't even asking the right question from a science standpoint. The science would say that, a vaccine has nothing to do with your relationship with viruses. Your innate immune system has everything to do with your relationship with viruses. So what should you do? You should have a, a diverse microbiome, which means you should be outside as much as possible, grow gardens, do it, get outside as much as you can, fresh air, fresh soil, fresh all that. And so what we need to do is realize we're dying from hypoxic injury, not from you know, some viral infection. And the, and the location of this coronavirus hitting respiratory epithelium and then you know, making us prone to this injury to the red blood cell, which then changes, you know, the oxygen carrying capacity and the, the event at the science level is called histotoxic hypoxia. Histotoxic hypoxia is caused by cyanide in the air. And so the most common toxin that we find, and actually Earth Justice sued the U.S. government months before the pandemic, that we were seeing cyanide levels higher in our inner city environments than we had ever measured. And they sued for the, for, for the government for not putting out warnings of cyanide poisoning, which is going to look exactly like COVID-19. It turns out that this virus, coronavirus, binds to a carbon molecule in the atmosphere in, in, in air pollution called PM2.5 that carries cyanide. And so the virus became a vector for cyanide. And so what we have seen in the last you know, 20 months is a consistent you know, viral experience where you might get a little cough, you might get this. But then another percentage of the population is getting a much deeper injury of hypoxic injury, this histotoxic hypoxia from air pollution combined with the virus as a carrying agent in. So the toxicity isn't really from the virus at all, but from all the junk it's capable of carrying into the cells. So we're dying from our, you know, the poisoning of our own environment that we've toxified, which is some sort of poetic justice probably. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a tiny little ditzel in our march toward extinction. If anybody thinks this has been bad this last year, Take a look at human population, which continues to go like this over the course of this past year. Wait until you see the real extinction event tip in. When we start to bury millions and millions of people 
we start are going to start to realize what real extinction is going to look like. We haven't even started to see the problems we've created, but we can avert the crisis if we rapidly adapt to Mother Nature's pathway. Zach, I hate to let you go. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and cut that off there, but I thought that was a good uh, kind of summary um, from a scientific perspective, and I wanted to just mention I didn't give a little preamble of who Zach Bush is. Before. He's amazing. He's amazing, yeah, and so he is a triple board certified uh, doctor, MD in internal medicine, endocrinology, and hospice care. He is an internationally recognized educator and thought leader on the microbiome as it relates to health and disease and food systems. He founded Seraphic Group and the nonprofit Farmers Footprint to develop root cause solutions for human and ecological health. And his passion for education reaches across many disciplines, including topics such as the role of soil and water ecosystems in human genomics, immunity, and the gut-brain connection for health. So, um, yeah, I mean, I hope that made sense. And did anything jump out at you, Fabi, from that? What he was saying, okay, we have an issue with our relationship with our environment that's full of toxins. Some people are not able to adapt and they get really sick because they have a toxic load. And from what he was saying, be outside, play with clean soil, breathe in fresh air as much as possible. And this is what is so hard for me when I want to discuss with people, what about this, what about that? They don't want to debate. They want to just look at germ theory and say, I know this person that was sick and was dating this other person that got sick and they went into his house and then everybody in the house got sick. And that's why we shouldn't be together. We shouldn't gather. We shouldn't be outside without our masks. And it is so hard, and that's why I want to talk about epidemiology a little bit, because that's what people, that's the extent of knowledge around disease that people have is germ theory, right? Because they don't know about the microbiome. Again, that's new. That's new. We're just, I don't know, 20 years into it, learning more about it, about the terrain, so epidemiology is, and I'm going to give an example back to our last episode. We were talking about scurvy. I was trying to remember what was the disease back, way back when. And it, so just to give an example of, of how epidemiology can be misleading. And epidemiology is the branch of medicine which deals with the incidence, distribution, impossible control of disease and other factors relating to health. So if you notice in this sentence, it says possible control of disease. So it's not saying definitely observing one person is sick, then everybody else got sick, and therefore they are transmitting this disease to each other. How did they get the disease in the first place, if you think about it, right? Yeah. Is that conundrum, chicken before the chicken egg? egg? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but talking about scurvy, and it's, this is from an article in National Geographic called A Nightmare Disease Haunted Ships During Age of Discovery. And it says an estimated 2 million People died of scurvy during voyages between the 15th and 18th 
century. These are the centuries where people were first crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the Indian Ocean, and the Pacific. And the problem incident um, to all of those voyages was that you were going to be at sea continuously, probably for more than three months, at some stages in the voyaging. That would be the period when scurvy would make itself apparent because everybody on the ship would be living on preserved foods. So there you are in the ship all together and all of a sudden you started presenting this horrendous symptoms. And they were a variety of, uh, and, and this now we know is nutritional diseases. That came from a lack of vitamin B1, which would be the beriberi. Is that how you say that in English? Uh, I don't you don't know. know. <laughs> Anyways, there's this disease of uh, lack of vitamin B1. Uh, vitamin B3 caused pellagra. And vitamin C would cause scurvy. And scurvy was this really scary one because usually would have the most obvious manifestation. So sometimes it's clear from these reports from these ships, people would get large concentrations of fluid in their legs. They would get, uh, they would have mental stability, their gums and would get spongy. They would bleed this, this really yucky blood, black blood. And their body would basically just disintegrate and they would die. And it's, I think the, the accounts say that 50% of the, all the sailors died during that time. For three centuries, they didn't know what was causing that. So they tried different treatments. The most popular was vinegar, an elixir of vitri vitriol. A vitriol, yeah. Vitriol a mixture of sulfuric acid and alcohol, a patent medicine called Ward's Drop and Pill, which was known less for its curative abilities than for its laxative effect. And while all the treatments were universally unpleasant, none did a thing to prevent scurvy until a Scottish surgeon found the relationship between scurvy and vitamin C and started administering vegetables and fruits that were rich in vitamin C. Oh my and God, improving diet. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and scurvy went away. Isn't that interesting? And so that is a great example where clearly, if you're just looking at it, you're like, okay, these people are all together in the ship and they're all dying with the same symptoms. And here we thought it was infectious, but then later found out that it was a vitamin deficiency. And interesting to note is that there's an article in Healthline that was published in October of this year. And it's titled, New Study Found 80% of COVID-19 Patients Were Vitamin D Deficient. A new study that looked at 216 people with COVID-19 found that 80% didn't have adequate levels of vitamin D in their blood. The study also found that people who had both COVID-19 and lower vitamin D levels also had a higher number of inflammatory markers, such as ferritin and D-dimer. Don't know what those are. I have to research. 
which have been linked to poor COVID-19 outcomes. Well, what jumps out to me, and we've mentioned it in some of those previous episodes, but it, it really comes down to at least the shortfall I see with the governments around the world is that uh, here, we, you know, it's, it's one thing if we're 30 days into this, okay, and we're all kind of like just trying to get a grip on what's happening. But, you know, we've been at this now for eight months. We're in the supposed second wave, right? So we had a mm-hmm. lull. We had time to kind of say, okay, let's look at some of the data. What should we be putting out there for messaging? Well, what could we start to really train? We've got kids coming back to school. What could we tell them about changing behaviors and whatnot? Maybe things to talk about with their family when they go home as far as changing diet and things of that nature. There was none of that. There's still really none of that. I think I mentioned, I saw one interview with uh, Dr. Fauci where he said, yeah, there were benefits around vitamin D and vitamin C. And that, I think, was from uh, uh, late September, early October. And I really haven't heard it repeated. And again, you know, the world over, when you see signage out and about, you know, that they've yeah. printed up, it's, it's all stay six feet apart. It's wear your mask. It's wash your hands, and it's, you know, really, in, in a lot of the really hot spot areas, it's don't leave the house unless you have to, you know. So why haven't we increased education around this if this is as big a problem as it is? Why haven't we told people, you must get better sleep, you must start to look for things within your daily routine that are bombarding your system with chemicals and increasing the toxic load within your body. You must look at that and you might, and you must say, Hey, I, I need to maybe make some shifts here. If I'm high risk and you know, I'm, uh, uh, eating nothing but processed foods, I may need to switch to more whole foods and things of that nature uh, in order to get my wrist down. But there's none of that. And, you know, people will say, oh, well, you can't dictate to people, you know, what they, wait a minute, you're, you're dictating the change of society right now yes, around. You don't want to meet with people. Yeah. You, they, they, they can't see each other. They, they, they're in this constant state of fear. Everybody has to wear masks. I mean, I see videos online of, you know, people coming up to other people in stores that aren't wearing masks and, and getting right up in their face, like they're going to hurt them. They're going to beat them. And it's just crazy to me. And, but all the while we are but not I trying think to that's improve. Okay to, to, you know, to have that reaction because you're scared and you can really think straight when you're scared, when you fight and flight all your blood goes to your muscles. We talked about that. You know, the oxygen goes to your muscles because you're supposed to be running. You're not really thinking. But to me, the hardest part is here. You have done some research, and not everybody has time to do research. One of my friends just said, I don't have time for this. I have priorities. I have other priorities. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm working. I'm studying for a test, and... Uh, my family is depending on this, and I totally get it. I mean, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of information. But then it's okay for you to go to a doctor, and the doctor will tell you to take certain medication and give it to your whole family. New medication. What is that medication called? Ivermectin. Yes, and I was just hearing today uh, some studies and some guideline recommendations. You shouldn't be giving it to children under five years old. And... In clinical trials, it didn't show to have any efficacy. 
for COVID-19. Yeah, well, I mean... In vitro, apparently, they saw some efficacy, but then when he came to the clinical trials, nothing. So then it's okay for you to give your power away to someone else to make that decision for you yeah yeah. but then you don't want to listen to the people that are actually doing the research and you don't even want to debate or discuss where do you fall what are you believing about what's going on how are you taking precautions there's no dialogue well and, and it's really just an interesting situation that it creates because you've you've now got half the population, or actually it's probably much higher than half, right? It's probably more like three-fourths of the population who, you know, they really don't want to talk about it, yet they want you to conform. Yes. So that's a challenge. I mean, that's really, I have a problem with authority in general, and, and that's a problem with me on anything, because I think, look, if we don't have debate and we can't talk about these things and say, okay, yeah, well, what about these things that aren't being discussed? Well, you know, or where are the conflicts of interest? And, you know, let's admit where we where we have common ground, you know, where we think, yes, I do think that some governments are taking advantage of this to forward, uh, you know, draconian measures. Uh, but, you know, I do think there still is a threat for this virus. And, you know, I do have some fear for specific family members and things of that nature. That's all fair. But let's have that conversation. And then let's also say, hey, look, if if I'm okay coming up to a group of people or, or meeting with a group of friends, um, you know, th- then I think that I should be able to make my case why I think that. And then if you're trying to stymie that that meeting, then you need to come with some information other yes. uh, other than other than they told me. Or not to do I it. saw somebody that was sick, and then they got the whole family sick. Okay, that that's a pretty good argument, but let's look at in a more holistic way. Let's not just say, okay, yes, it's transmitted, even though nobody has proven it's transmissible. But that's well, that, <laughs> a that, conversation for another episode. Well, we were talking about that around Koch's postulates. Did mm-hmm. did, did you want to? I mean, we could talk a little bit about Koch's postulate. Uh, this guy, this guy, he was a scientist in the 1900s. He's, uh, he was uh, a bacteriologist, or he studied bacteriology. He was actually the founder, one of the founders of bacteriology of his time. His name was, oh, how you say this, man? Can you read it for me? <laughs> well, just, he's Coke, okay? Coke's. <laughs> he, Hamish, Herman, Robert, He's Coke. He's Coke. We're going to refer Coke. to him as yes. Coke. Yes, Coke. Yeah, so his postulate that he came up with back in the day is actually still the gold standard of infectious disease. So because epidemiology, you can't really just use observation, as I said, with scurvy, it would have taken forever. You never have found the you know the cure because you didn't understand what was going on so he had this he created these postulates and they are as follows so one the microorganism must be found in abundance in all organisms suffering from the disease but not found in healthy organisms so we think about number one, we already failed because now we say health, healthy people are, are still sick positive. people. Yeah. Yes. 
the microorganism must be isolated from disease organism and grown in a pure culture. Again, fail number two because they never they never purify the culture in the case of SARS-CoV-2. So what that means is that there were other things in the sample that could have been, and that kind of leads to yes. that, that metaphor you used with the ping pong ball and the, the, uh-huh. the bucket of ice and the rocks. So we and, can say yeah. the ping pong ball can tore up a brick wall, but with the ping pong ball, there were rocks, there was ice, and there was a big bucket. <laughs> but we say the ping pong ball is the one doing it. And number three, the culture microorganisms should cause disease when introduced into a healthy organism. So we already failed one and two. So number three, forget it, right? And number four, the microorganism must be re-isolated from the now-diseased experimental host, which received the inoculation of the microorganism and identified as identical to the original specific causative agent. Very nice. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) So, yeah, so I mean, those postulates, that's how you... Prove, prove infectious that it's disease. infectious and so you can google that and maybe it will still show up yeah. <laughs> gold standard of infectious disease maybe we'll put it on on the notes of the yeah. episode well and i remember we had that conversation around Koch's postulates with uh, that friend of ours who's in uh, uh the medical field you remember early on in the pandemic we did we a call with, with her field? yeah i don't want to say her name but um you oh, know, that's right. We did that call. And, but then one of her friends passed away from COVID. So yeah. conversation was Conversation stifled, ended. And understandably so. Yeah, yeah. Yes, because she was hurting and now... And I understand there are people hurting out there, you know. And this is this is the hardest thing about discussing but, but, but the you know, pandemic it, because it, people are dying. It, it, uh, it really reminds me of in the Iraq war... You know, when we were having the discussion around, you know, were there weapons of mass destruction yes. and all that? And what, you know, the, the conversation turned into, oh, you're, you're saying that, uh, you know, the, the efforts of our military are incorrect and, and uh, mm-hmm. not justified, you know, yes. and that they're, they're, they're not good people. And I'm like, wait, wait, that's not what I said at all. <laughs> that's not what I said at all. You're putting a lot of stuff on In me. In that case, that was me arguing with. Leo, <laughs> but 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 I mean it's very similar, right? Because it's like, well, my son died fighting for your freedom, yes. you know, from the weapons of mass destruction that never existed, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And you're like, uh, okay, well, thank you, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm yes. This is really one does not equal the other, and so yes. so anyway, so tough argument. It is a tough one, you know, and and. Uh, but I, I still come back to that thing I have around attention. If we, if we had attention on all the things that were killing people mm-hmm. in, in a year, yes. then I think we would have, be having a very different discussion. And, you know, we were looking at that one uh, write-up, where, which was very interesting to me that, that overall deaths are on target to be either at or right around the same as they were last year. The several, several, the past several years. Past several right? years, yeah. And so, so yes, uh, where we, what bucket we put those deaths in might be different. But I mean, we are turning the world upside down. And if the overall deaths aren't different, then 
what exactly is going on because we weren't turning it upside down for deaths for different things before. So what is going on? Are we saying that that COVID is curing some of these other things and in the process it's killing them in and of itself? Or what, are, what exactly are we saying? Yes. And I wanted to know if we have a little time to talk about, still time to talk about freedom because we've been discussing that. Yeah, no, we have a little time. What angle did you want to go with that? Well, so you remember we were discussing um, how it is hard to be free. Yeah, it's work. In this society. (laughs) It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work to to be free. Yes, are we trading freedom for convenience? I wonder. Well, and, and, you know, you and And I... I And suppose safety. Yeah, yeah. And, And you and I know that really well because you know we got a good glimpse of where convenience failed us mm-hmm. you know with our own children and mm-hmm. and some of the challenges that they had to battle that we uh, yeah helped not guide wanting to argue with a doctor when you went to the doctor's office and thinking back in the day when we were doing vaccines and then we had an injury uh, right before the appointment, because I believe that a good mother would take their child to the doctor and do what the doctor said to do. But I had a book called the vaccine book back then that talked about the different vaccines, the different manufacturers, what they were for, what ingredients were in them. And so I would read that up a little bit. And then I would go to the doctor, and when I got there, I felt extremely insecure. At one instance, I was actually kicked out of a doctor's office uh, because this practice we would go to had different pediatricians, and they would rotate seeing your child. And one of them, just because I asked a question, he uh, told me to leave with my child because he, I don't know, what he believed at that time, maybe I was stirring trouble or and he lived in our neighborhood i know (laughs) (laughs) i i went to grade school with his son (laughs) yes so uh questioning and just to give a specific instance with our uh, second child i went to the office and was asking the doctor about the vaccine specifically that was, you know, his turn to get the specific vaccine. And I was kind of, I was feeling very anxious and even scared. Okay, I'm going to get kicked out again from this practice. Different doctor, same practice. I don't know why I kept going back. But she mentioned that book. Uh, what is it? False Prophets. Do you remember? You read it. Uh, I mean, I read it. Was it was by but- Paul Offit. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I don't remember the name of it, but yeah, I remember the Offit book, yeah. So, anyways, him saying how you should vaccinate, vaccines are the greatest thing that ever happened to the history of humanity. And she was telling me all this, and then it was time to give the vaccine, and I told her, okay, if we're going to do this, I want to just do one of the doses, uh, one of the vaccines. I don't want to do the multiple vaccine in one. And she's like, okay, we can do that. And she brought in the vaccine. And I don't know why I had like this intuition. And I was really 
anxious and a little bit scared, but I asked, can I see that vaccine insert? And when we both, because I wanted to know the levels of aluminum in the vaccine, because I knew that causes neurological problems and already kind of have a history of injury and everything. And she started reading the ingredients and the uh, amount of each of the ingredients. And when she read aluminum, it was like way high. And she's like, oh, wait a minute. This is the wrong, the wrong vaccine. So if I had never asked her for the insert, she, she would have given him, him yeah. the, the wrong vaccine. And, and you might not have ever known. I know. And that day I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to hold off on that and just wait for him to get a little older. And the more I learned, of course, the more I decided uh, that was not the right fit for our children. And eventually we did some more testing and figure out that they're you know, their genetic profile just can't handle, can't handle them, unfortunately. Yeah. And so we have those experiences. And so we have a really, um, I don't want to say a sensitive spot, but we, we are very, very hyper aware of what's called medical freedom, Mm -hmm. you know, and being able to make those decisions for yourself and for your children, you know, and there's so many, people that are trying to remove those rights and honestly from some of the things I read I mean they really don't even believe that your own child really belongs to you they believe it's really kind of like a a a function of the state and that uh, the society which is actually true right once you get a birth certificate the state really well no but I mean it's it's not it's not true right it's just what it's what they want Right. right. I think so. there's some law about that. But the vaccine subject is such a, a touchy subject. And I understand why, because I did go ahead and give my power away. I didn't listen to my intuition many times where I didn't think that was right or helpful for my child. And then he would get sick right after. And then, of course, the doctor said, oh, no, he wasn't the vaccine. It was something else. I don't know what else it could have been, but um, I didn't listen to my intuition and I gave my power away and now it's too late and thinking back, I feel super guilty. So for many, many parents out there, you know, just to, to even think that you may have done something that could have harmed your child in some way. You know, yeah, sometimes you we don't. We might not know for years. We don't know what the long-term effects of these vaccines are because they're not very thoroughly studied. Yeah, and no. vaccine manufacturers don't have liabilities, so what is it for them to even study anything? Yeah. Right? Well, and, and and that really ties back into all of this stuff with the the measures that we're going through because you know there is a undocumented liability to all of these measures, you know, going out. And, I mean, it's documented, isn't it? Insert, if you ask for the insert. No, 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 right I, I'm not talking about vaccines anymore. I'm talking, oh. about, I'm talking about the measures around COVID oh, and what yeah. we were first we're talking about. back to COVID. About. Yeah, well, you know, I'm just, ta- I'm just trying to relate it and, mm-hmm. and, and connect the dots. And, you know, there is a undocumented liability, and that liability is really our lives. You know, we talked yes. about, about fighting for freedom, and, you know, 
we like to go out and be in the world the way that we want to be in the world. We don't want to, um, you know, we don't want to, I mean, really the word that came to mind is mask ourselves. You know, we want to be who we are and, uh, you know, we want to breathe air. We want to, uh, be able to hug. breathe in the microbiome. Yeah, the microbiome. <laughs> we want to be able to hug people that yeah, we haven't seen people. in a Change long time. Change the microbiome. Increase diversity. Yeah, and and so when you have that information and you know that uh, there is science that backs it up, it's just not the science that is backed by the big uh, pharma. the big pharma, right? And and I don't think anybody would. I don't think anybody would say that big pharma has done a good job uh, making itself known that it's here for us as... Um, to keep us healthy. Yeah, to keep us healthy and that we're, we're people that they're taking care of. We, we are a necessary mechanism in their process to make money. You know, they need us to consume We're the product. Customers, yeah. We are customers. And uh, the, all of the major manufacturers of vaccines, and, and, and they have all been uh, found guilty of their own fraud with uh, pharmaceutical drugs uh, for different, you know, like Vioxx is a great uh, example, if you remember the scandal there and the money that they had to pay out for that. I mean, each one of these, these large pharmaceutical companies has paid out billions of dollars in damages for fraud and how they tried to hide information. Or not for vaccines, though. But not for vaccines, but, but for pharmaceuticals. The taxpayer pays for that. And, and uh, not that this episode is about vaccines, but we're just saying, you know, we're giving away our power here, our freedom. You know, it's, and, and once it's gone, it's gone. And so I just really want to put a point on it for people to say, okay, look, I may be in the mix in this right now, meaning I am... Uh, interested and bought into uh, uh, distancing and masking and washing my hands at every moment and and uh, doing what I'm told. I'm into that right now. But at what point are you not into it? Meaning, what has to happen? Like if you had to in, if you had to write a book right now, and you had to write a story, and you were eight months into a pandemic and you were doing these things. And but you, you were like, I, I certainly don't like doing these things, but I'll do them because I value, you know, the health of other people. And they're mm-hmm. telling me it's what I need to do. Yeah. What do you need to see to see that really most of these things are not benefiting at any level that is worth giving up your freedom for? I mean, they, they might have some utility somewhere, but I mean, the, the fact that we're giving up how we live our lives completely, uh, uh, what, what do you have to see? And, and what I would say is even if you don't share it with anybody, whatever that is, write it down. Figure out what it is that you'd have to see that you would be blown away by. Write it down. Put it in a piece of paper and stick it away in a shoebox. And then, you know, as you consume news or as you talk to friends, you know, just have an ear to listen for those things. And then when you hear it, you know, have the, the, the audacity to go back, pull that piece of paper out and say, okay, you know what? This is where I said the the line was, and mm-hmm. now here it is. It's happening because we're seeing things that are just completely outlandish, which we can talk about in other episodes. And people have got to start uh, admitting, yeah, I I see it. I don't like it. There, there's a there's something weird going on here. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Like my 
gender reveal party. We got there. Everybody's masked, masked up. And I put my mask on. I gave my freedom away because I, I wanted my friend to feel safe. Right. And I came in. We couldn't hug. I hadn't seen her for, I don't know, five years. We didn't hug or anything. But then in the course of the party, she relaxed and she was happy. She took her mask off. All of a sudden, we're all taking pictures without masks. We're hugging. Um, so where is that line? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I mean, and, and if, it was amazing, you know, after. But. And if they came out tomorrow and said, look, you know what? We're just going to have to we're just going to have to be masked from here into perpetuity. What would you, yeah. what would you, would you bite off on that? Mm-hmm. Would, do you think you have enough evidence right now that you would say without any argument or debate, you'd say, okay, that's what we got to do. It's just, this is the way it is. We're all masked up. Mm-hmm. You know? I think Bill Gates just said, we're not all going back to normal until 2022. Now yeah. he has given yeah, he just, a different date now. <laughs> He's just a nutbag. I mean, he just every day. It's I and, and try to find a picture of Bill Gates in a mask. I, mean, I that, that's just I know he was not it. wearing a mask. I, I don't know that I've ever seen. A, I've seen a picture of pretty much everybody else that's in the mix here on this that wearing a mask. I don't Fauci. think I've ever seen one of Gates. You know, so he's probably just laughing at all of us. <laughs> but yeah. But anyway, but I think the broader point that we want to come back to is that if. You, if, if you have other priorities and you are then trying to put what, you know, the government and the powers that be are saying to do on people in your life, then you need to be willing to come to the table with, at the discussion. You, you don't just get to take people's freedom away. Now, you can say, hey, I can't see you. I won't see you. And... I think anyone who is in their right mind, they will respect that, you know, and, and, and they won't. But, but I mean to. And when we work for our freedom, right, we're working for the freedom of everyone. When we, yeah, when we, when we protect our freedom, we're protecting yes. our individual freedom. We are protecting everyone's individual freedom. And when you don't know your freedoms and your rights, it's a lot easier to get them taken away. Yeah. And, and, and in the name of, and again, it's all context, you know, I think. Anybody would say, hey, look, putting something over my, my mouth is going to block germs. Yeah, that's, that seems logical, right? But then when you get into the science of the holes in the mass, and the size of or, the virus, yes, and all of exactly. that. exactly. When you get into the nitty-gritty, you see that it's so flimsy. It is so <laughs> flimsy. And, and you're like, if, if this is as dire as the fact that we are shutting the world down in this way, then first of all, they wouldn't allow people out of their houses at all. And we would be, and, and if they did Let's allow not them, say that. Remember the art of war, whatever you put out there. Oh, really? They're okay. like, okay, you're giving us ideas. I didn't know. <laughs> we're going to lock that. everybody okay. in their houses. But I mean, we'd be wearing, we'd be wearing much different masks. Yes. Have you seen those, you know, apocalyptic movies? Do they wear cloth masks <laughs> in them? <laughs> Ebola. What other movies are there? <laughs> yeah, outbreak. Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. They are not wearing cloth masks or surgical masks. Yeah, and, and then I would also say that that if you are, you know, going to put up with this mask stuff, then you know, put up or shut up. Meaning, 
do it a hundred percent and don't do this thing where you, you know, you signal to everybody. And then once you get in the with, pictures, you were it, but then, and then once you get with your group in the back room, you take the mask off. I mean, give me a break. Give <laughs> Come me on, a break. Give them some slack. You know, we're no, all no doing slack. the best we can. We're not giving slack. If I, if I was with you in that back room, I'd be can. like, Hey, Hey, why are you, why are you taking your mask off? Well, there, I huh? took it off. Eventually I was six feet apart. Well, right, right. No, 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 no. And I'm, I'm talking about the people who are like telling other people, get your mask on. Yeah. You're, you're not telling anybody to put their mask on, yeah. you know. So, so I'm talking about those people. I say, take your mask off. Yeah, yeah. Should well, we wrap it up? I think we should wrap it up. <laughs> we like to keep these at about an hour. So I, I think we're there. So we hope you enjoyed this. And uh, I think we'll go ahead and push this out. This is Leo and Fabiola with... The Collective Resistance Podcast. We may not know everything about this topic, but we're certainly on to something. Yes, yeah, stay safe out there. Stay curious.